Advantage is the premier provider of non-traditional work, advocacy, and resources while pushing the boundaries of athletic training. Follow them on social media at The Advantage and join their email list for an even deeper dive into all things non-traditional and access to even more boundary-pushing content. Hey everyone, welcome back to Reframe the Game. This episode, we are going to talk about living an extraordinary life as an athletic trainer. So the idea for this presentation or this this podcast or this episode, I should say, really comes from a set of presentations that I've done for athletic trainers across the country. And many of you who have seen that presentation reached out to me and said, it would be great if you could take bits and pieces from each of these presentations that you've done and kind of put it together into a podcast that I can listen to on a regular basis. I can remind myself that living an extraordinary life is possible for me and kind of amalgamate or or synthesize a bunch of information into a single podcast episode. So that's what this episode is all about. And it's really about living an extraordinary life. And we're going to talk about things like consciousness engineering. We were going to talk about things about changing some of our habits and also changing some of our belief systems and kind of mixing those two things together. I know I've talked about some of these things individually on the podcast, uh, particularly in season one, but this will be the first time we start to kind of integrate and amalgamate and synthesize all of this information together. And so maybe this is the first time you've ever listened to one of my podcasts or one of my episodes, and um, you you haven't listened to season one yet. So th- think about this as a, a crash course in a lot of the types of things we talk about in the Reframe the Game podcast. So before we get started here, I I do want to kind of put a I don't I don't want to call it a. De- a disclaimer, but really uh, raise your awareness that depending on your worldview, certain aspects of this episode will appeal to you and other aspects may turn you off or, or affront you or make you feel a little uncomfortable. So uh, Ken Wilber, he, he writes a lot about this idea of integral theory, which is essentially a theory that like every, it's like a theory of everything. Right, and he talks about worldviews, and there are four main worldviews, uh, and and those worldviews are the rationalist, uh, and you, as you're listening, you may be a rationalist. Uh, in that case, you love when I talk about the specific strategies or habits or routines that you can integrate, but you may be turned off when I start talking about intuition or the magic of the mind or things like listening to your soul. You know that that may not uh, in, that may not connect with you in the same way that the strategy the strategy does. I certainly uh, have rationalist tendencies uh, in a lot of my thinking and my worldview. You could be a traditionalist, and uh, the traditionalist worldview, you know, you love anything that reminds you of your your currently held beliefs. Right. So if, if you have things that you, you, that I'm reinforcing some of the things that you already feel like you're engaged with, um, you know, you love that, but you, but you feel threatened when I talk about or I uh, talk about questioning some of the cultural and traditional rules that we have in our society. So uh, you may be, you may be, uh, 
leaning more towards a traditionalist if you find yourself threatened in those ways. You could be what Ken Wilber calls a green. And if you are a green, that means like you're a spiritual junkie, right? You love all of the talk of intuition and magic, but you, when, when, when I start talking about habits and routines and specific strategies, you may dread those conversations and you may, uh, you, you know, you don't like that because it forces you to talk about and, and really plan to take action on, on your life. And finally, the, the, the fourth worldview is, is something we all can strive for, but that's called an integrator. And you, you may be listening to this podcast, or maybe you've listened to uh, other episodes of the podcast in the past, and um, you may be approaching this from the integral level. And what I mean by that is that you are approaching this open-minded, and you can integrate all of these worldviews, the rationalist, the traditionalist, the green, uh, without feeling that your ego is threatened. And you can do that by picking and choosing what resonates with you and having kind of the self-awareness to know this is how I can integrate this in my life, or maybe this is this may not work for me right now. I, I may need to do some more research or maybe have other conversations with other people in my life to figure out ways where I can integrate some of these things. So when we think about this episode specifically, and really any of the episodes of Reframe the Game, um, you know, I always encourage individuals to approach this from the integral the the integrator worldview, knowing that we all probably have tendencies in one of the other three, but we really do have the ability to integrate um, to, to integrate ourselves and all of these ideas, whether it be strategy or it's intuition or or anywhere in between. And uh, we we can find value in each of those. So I, I just wanted to start off on that. And the other thing I want to start off with, when we talk about living an extraordinary life, and we talk about um, what's real in the world and what truth is, and I think truth is an interesting concept, particularly in the age of misinformation, and um, what our truth is and what the world truth is, and um, you know. Vishen Lakahani has a, a great kind of definition of truth, and he actually splits it up into two. And I, I want to share those with you. First, there's absolute truth. And absolute truth is the physical world of things that we are all pretty likely to agree upon, right? Like this is a riverbank. Rocks are hard. Water is wet. Fire is hot. Saber-toothed tigers and lions have big teeth that will probably hurt if they bite us, right? Th those, those sorts of uh, absolute truths about the world. Um, usually those are in the physical world, right? The, they are, they're, they're things. And, and usually I would say most, most people don't disagree on that rocks as a category are hard, that water as a category is wet, that fire as a category is hot, right? Like, uh, yeah, we can start to split hairs and, and get into hot is relative as well. And rock hardness is relative as well. And, and all of these things, but by and large, if I say, imagine a rock, uh, many of you can close your eyes and imagine a rock that is hard, right? That it is not squishy. It's not going to be a squishy rock. Um, and that's that's what I mean by absolute truth. And, and that's really what what he means by absolute truth. And I think that that really helps 
with some of the integration of it helps becoming an integrator is first understand that we're, when we talk about the physical world, we're talking about absolute truth. And on the other side of that is relative truth. And relative truth really is the mental world of ideas, of constructs, of concepts, of models, of myths, of legends, of patterns, of rules, all of these things that we have developed as human beings and passed on from generation to generation for sometimes thousands of years, right? Sometimes not thousands of years, sometimes just you know a generation or two, or sometimes these are concepts or constructs or models about thinking about the world that um, were constructed in our own lifetime. But, but some of these, sometimes this relative truth, these are things like cultural norms. These are things like what uh, what a professional behavior for an athletic trainer is. What is what defines a professional behavior of, for an athletic trainer? Um, what are the expected working hours of an athletic trainer? What are the expected job duties of an athletic trainer? What are the expected parental responsibilities of a parent? Right, like, like there, there are so many, there are are so many things in our world that are simply made up. Right, that they're made up in they're they're made up in the minds of humans, which means they were created from the minds of humans. And oftentimes, particularly these generational truths, these generational relative truths, they create a situation in which we people believe that the relative truths are absolute. That is, that they are unchanging. That categorically, athletic trainers work from, you know work 60 hours a week as a category, like if job description as an athletic trainer, all of them work 60 hours a week, right? Or categorically athletic trainers cannot have life, a, a great life. Athletic trainers can't live an extraordinary life because these, these, all these things, they don't have control of their lives. All, all you know, all of these kind of cultural norms, you know, professionalism in athletic training looks like wearing khakis and polos or professionalism athletic training means being a member of the NATA or whatever professional organization of your choices, right? Like that's what it means to be a professional, right? Uh, or, or you, you know, you, you can go on and on, right? And I and I think I, I think we're gonna do an episode on the culture scape and athletic training where we really expose some of these relative truths. And by expose them, I don't mean like expose them to, um necessarily break them down, but to expose them to raise our awareness that much of, in fact, almost all of what we do as athletic training, in athletic training, at least from the professional development side and the personal development side and what it means to be a profession is not based in the absolute world. It's not based in absolute truth. It's based in relative truth. Therefore, it's flexible. We can change our minds. We can change our directions. We can change what the profession looks like if we choose. And we have the authority to do that, right? As members uh, that, that, that currently work in the relative truth of what athletic training is today. Um, and it, that doesn't mean there are not barriers. That doesn't mean it can't be that doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean it's it's simple. It doesn't mean it happens overnight, but it does mean that it can be changed. 
right? So we're, we're going to spend we're going to spend a whole episode uh, talking about the culture scape and some rules in athletic training and, and and really what we can do and really identify: do these rules serve us? Are these cultural norms serve us as a profession, or is this something that we can? kind of let go and and really evolve and leave in the past and respect that they got us this far, but they may not get us where we want to go in, in the future. So um, as we now getting into, you know, how to live an extraordinary life, right? There are, there are two main categories. First, there's consciousness engineering, right? Which is kind of the foundation of this, right? And then the, the, Second piece is creating a reality by augmenting the relative truths and updating your systems for living uh, through habit change or new models of reality uh, and, and systems for living like habits, routines, and rituals, right? Using consciousness engineering, bending, like, kind of creating a new reality and challenging the relative truth and, and updating your systems for living, that's how we really can create an extraordinary life and craft an extraordinary life for ourselves. It's not, it's not something that is, that happens to us. It's something that we as athletic trainers, we as professionals, we as humans can create for ourselves. Now, again, none of this suggests that it's simple, easy, and everyone will understand what you're trying to do. But when we look at consciousness engineering itself, there are three foundational concepts. And I've talked about these in past episodes, but these foundational concepts are self-awareness, identity, and self-authorship. So when we think about self-awareness, I first want to talk about self-awareness from the perspective that self-awareness is understanding and having a grasp of where your thoughts, beliefs, and feelings and behaviors come from, right? Being able to work within that space and, and, and really having a conscious knowledge of one's own characters, feelings, motives, and desires. That's, that's, that's really what self-awareness is. So when we develop self-awareness, um, that's what we're looking to do. So, so when I say self-awareness, that's what I'm talking about. Having a conscious understanding of your characteristics, of your character, of your feelings, of your motives, of your beliefs, right? And so when we look at self-awareness, self-awareness is the first step and self-awareness is so critically important and, and people can grow leaps and bounds simply by improving their conscious awareness of who they are and why they do what they do, right? But then there are more steps to take. You can, there's a process called the self-awareness to empowerment process. And this process is based in self-evaluation theory, self-perception theory, expectancy violations theory, uh, some work in cognitive dissonance and intrinsic motivation. Um, but essentially you, you move from authentic self-awareness. So having a, a fantastic foundation of understanding consciously why you do what you do, moving that into a a self-evaluation phase so you can evaluate if your, your, why you do what you do is still serving you, making changes when you're evaluating that and saying, maybe this was my belief, or this was a way of being, or this was a thought pattern that I had when I was younger or while I was an athletic training student that really worked to help develop me and move me to where I am now, but it's no longer serving me. Replacing that 
with a new habit, routine, ritual, way of assist, uh, a way of being or thought thought pattern, and then spending the time empowering yourself uh, through small wins, through through small actions, through self again completing the cycle, moving back up to self awareness, uh, so that now becomes part of who you are, and the process is is again pretty straightforward. First thing you have to do is move your unconscious thoughts, motives, behaviors, feelings, beliefs into the conscious mind, right? That's authentic self-awareness. And then once it's in the conscious mind, now you can evaluate it. Now that you're thinking about it, now that you've actually laid it out on paper and say, here's why I do what I do, or here's, I'm still exploring why I do this, but I know that this doesn't serve me. Now we can actually engage with our beliefs, our feelings, our motives, uh, some of our behaviors, and we can identify those and start to make changes on them. And then what we have to do is slowly work to the work to the position where those conscious thoughts, those conscious behaviors now become unconscious, right? They just become automatic, right? They, they become so habituated, habitual to us that that's just who we are. And that's one of, I mean, that's a, it's a pretty, it's, it's a pretty linear. And I like the, I like the, the, this conceptual framework because it lays out, you know, the steps from a mind perspective of how to make change in your life. Right. If you think about this from like a software, right. First you have to know what systems are running in the background. Then you have to identify as a system outdated, and then you have to integrate it and reinstall it into your, into your hardware. Um, and, and then now you've upgrade, you've become an upgraded version that works for you right now. And the reason, you know, it works for you right now is because you have authentic self-awareness and then you continue that cycle, right? Because at each level of self-awareness, you find other things and other models of reality that may not be working for you. The second concept I want to talk about is identity and identity formation. And this, I, I first heard this uh, quote from Eric Thomas. He said, what follows I am follows us, right? And so I've always loved that quote and I've, I've kind of attached myself to that uh, because it's, I feel it just resonates so well. If you say I am an athletic trainer, guess what? You identify as an athletic trainer and you do things that athletic trainers do. You say, I'm a father. You identify as a father. You say, I am no, I'm not good at school, right? I'm not good at relationships. I'm not meant to have work-life balance, right? Like it, all of these things, it, they they often are self-fulfilling prophecies. And identity itself is a set of qualities and beliefs that make one person or group different than one another. And I think as athletic trainers, we have a really strong professional identity. Um, but the challenge with that, I, from my perspective, is that we have attached ourselves into a relative truth about what an athletic trainer is, and therefore, when we try to change that, it threatens our quote-unquote identity as an athletic trainer because it's different than what we believe we are, and therefore, it makes change exponentially more difficult. But I think if we can if we can appreciate this concept of identity and and knowing what the professional the current professional identity of athletic trainers are 
and then pair that with the self-awareness to empowerment process and use this on a large scale with a bunch of individuals, a group of people who share the same qualities or beliefs, or that want to change the qualities and beliefs that we believe about ourselves, we have an opportunity to shift the profession for the positive, right? Likewise, we also have the opportunity to shift the, the, the profession for the negative. And I think that's some of the, some of the, the challenges, or, or, or we find ourselves isolating individuals who have a view of athletic training that is different than the quote unquote cultural norm of what an athletic trainer is. And instead of maybe approaching those individuals or approaching, uh, approaching that mindset with a perspective of curiosity, we often approach it with a, with a, uh, a mindset of being threatened. And then, then, so all the, all this automatically right? Are, are we, we have threatened and we have othered those who are thinking differently about athletic training because we have such a strong professional identity, but we also talk about how the profession needs to change and we need to change, or they don't like this, this, and this about the profession, but I'm still an athletic trainer, right? So it's kind of this paradox where we want change, but we also identify so strongly in our professional identity of athletic training that we're unwilling to change. And I think if we can, if we, if we in, as individuals can start to break down these barriers for ourselves, it opens up the door for us collectively uh, to have a conversation about what athletic training looks like in the future of the American healthcare system. And until we do that, I think we're going to be stuck in this cycle of having a really strong professional identity, but being unhappy with that professional identity that we've adopted for ourselves. And without understanding that that's relative and that we can change that professional identity at any time. And, you know, and, and how do you do that? Right. I, I think in a previous episode, I've talked about, uh, James clear and atomic habits and identity based habit change. Um, uh, but you know, how do we do that? First, we have to identify what our identity is going to be. And then we have to ask ourselves, what are the processes and things that people who have identified as that who have embraced that identity, what do they do? Do they set boundaries? Do they respect themselves? Do they document every day? Do they have appropriate medical care? What, wh whatever coverage, whatever it is, like what do people who practice in this ideal athletic training, I professional identity do? And then we collectively prove it to ourselves with small wins. And we repeat that over and over and over and over and over again. And that's how we create outcomes. Right. And that's really the recipe for sustained success. Decide the type of person you want to be, prove it to yourself with small wins, and repeat. We can we can expand this to a profession-wide level. We collectively need to decide the type of profession we want to be, prove it to ourselves with small wins, and repeat. That is way easier said than done because of what I talked about in our tie to our own professional identity uh, and the challenges of that. But it, it, there, is, there are pathways available if we're willing to challenge the cultural norms and willing to challenge the relative truth about what athletic training is, what an athletic trainer is, what an athletic training job and career trajectory looks like. We have to be willing to challenge that. If we don't challenge that, then we're going to be stuck here forever and we're going to be stuck in this place. And that is going to become just what an athletic trainer does. An athletic trainer is unhappy with being an athletic trainer, but is unwilling to change 
what they believe an athletic trainer could be because that's too difficult. So rather we'll, we're going to stay unhappy and we're going to say stuck and we're going, and that just becomes what an athletic trainer is. Right. And eventually people will get fed up and then they'll leave or they'll do something else or they will come to their job and be cynical or they will, you know, encourage other people not to become an athletic trainer. And that's just what we will be. And then eventually that will, 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 will create our own demise. I feel strongly about this because we, what athletic training in is, is all relative. It was all created in someone's mind. It was a group of people's minds. Why can't a, a, a current group of people recreate what it means? We can, we just have to have the will. We have to have the will to do it. We have to have the will and the resources to be able to be able to make that shift. And I'm not talking about the resources from professional organizations. I'm talking about individual athletic trainers will and individual athletic trainers choosing to invest their resource. And I don't mean money, right? But what I mean is time, energy, and attention to consciously shifting what it means to be an athletic trainer. That's, that's a pathway for success if we want to change who and what we are as a healthcare profession, as opposed to getting stuck in this cycle of constantly saying, I wish I was someone else, or I wish I was doing something else, or I wish this was different without actually taking action on it because we identify with ourselves as an athletic trainer. The third piece of these foundational concepts that I mentioned was self-authorship. So self-authorship is... Uh, actually like an educational learning theory, um, but it can be applied across domains, right? And essentially it's um, it was originally defined in the mid nineties by Keegan. And uh, now it's been the Baxter Magnolia has done some work on it to really look at the effects of this, at least throughout an individual's career. Again, this has been mostly done in, in, you know, it's a learning theory. So it's been done in college students, but you know, all athletic trainers had to have gone to college at some point, right? So they've kind of gone through this developmental stage as well. And, and self-authorship is the internal capacity to, to define one's belief system, identity, and relationships, right? So if you take all these three, three things together, our self-awareness to self-empowerment process, identity and identity-based habit change, and self-authorship, the ability to define one's belief systems, to define one's identity and define one's relationship. Once we're able to do those three things relatively well, right? Now we're really starting to cook with, with gasoline, right? We're really starting to get ourselves in this place where we're ready to make change and, and we're ready to live an extraordinary life. Right when we talk about living an extraordinary life as an athletic trainer, we have to be able to identify these things, right? Because we are going to come up to the challenges of the cultural norms and the relative truths about what people believe an athletic trainer does, and that requires. But we, we as individuals, need to be able to find our own our own belief system, what our values are, what our purpose is, what's important to us, what our identity at is, what are my identities beyond an athletic trainer. And the relationships and the interpersonal interactions that we have in the world, right? And what we want those to look like for ourselves, for our family, for our colleagues, uh, you know, for what wh whoever we're going to interact with, right? So after we have those three foundational concepts, right, we have we have an option, we have opportunities to grow, and we have there's really two ways to grow by choice, 
right? There are multiple ways to grow, but two of the two ways you can grow by choice are creating new ways of thinking, right? So that would be growth through belief change, changing your beliefs in order to grow. You also can grow by updating your systems of living, right? Updating the way you interact with the world. So growth through habit change, growth through routine setting, growth through, um, growth through practice, right? Obviously there are other ways to grow. You can grow by trauma. You can grow by force. You can grow by authority, right? Oftentimes those, um, those, those are, are not chosen by us, but we do have some choice. We can change, we can grow by changing our belief systems and we can grow through habit and routine upgrades. Um, so I want to talk about, uh, for the next, next little bit here, uh, talk about what, what are ways we can do both of these. And I, and I kind of intermix these between belief system change and habit upgrade and routine upgrade. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to integrate these because I think together they are more effective than simply changing our beliefs about something, um, or simply doing something for the sake of doing something, because I think this gets back to identity and self-authorship and self-awareness and self-empowerment. I think that by integrating our changing our beliefs and also upgrading our habits and routines, we're able to really, and using identity, self-authorship and self-awareness and self-empowerment as the foundation for this, we're really able to create this life that we've dreamed of, right? Or this, this extraordinary life, maybe, and maybe not even the life you dreamed of. You may just create an extraordinary life that you hadn't dreamed of, right? You create a life that wasn't in your, that wasn't a vision of yours, but it's a, it's a life that you find extremely satisfying, right? Uh, it, it, you, you feel at peace with, your place, right? So the first, the first one is recognizing that the first, I guess this is a belief change, right? It's a belief change in recognizing that your reality is not what has happened to you, right? But how you have framed what has happened, right? So it's not, it's not what's happened. It's how you have framed what's happened. And it, it, if this kind of goes with, if you change your thoughts, you change your life, right? You change your thoughts about what has happened and you choose to respond as opposed to react. And you choose to understand that you are safe and that there, you don't have to fight back. And, and maybe that this hardship or this challenge that you're facing is trying to teach you a way to grow or this awesome, successful, awesome award or achievement that you've unlocked is also trying to, to teach you something about life. But you really need to frame that in frame that in a way that is based in learning, not based in, oh my gosh, this has this has happened, right? It's okay, this situation has occurred. Let's break it down in what ways can I learn from it? Now, that this is way easier said than done to change this belief, right? Because so often we're we are pressed and we're fed with information that says re- react, 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 react. You have to react right now. You don't have time to think, you don't have time to break it down. And maybe in the moment you have to react. Maybe in the moment you have to respond immediately because it requires your immediate attention. But that doesn't mean you 
react and move on. You can react and then spend some time breaking it down and really think about what's happened. There's a great quote by Eckhart Tolle, who uh, who is a, a, who is a writer uh, and an author, um, and he he talks about this concept and he says the primary cause of unhappiness is never the situation, but our thoughts about it. Right. So this the so the 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 situation itself is the situation itself. It's an absolute truth. It is what it is what it is. Right. But then how we think about what has happened and how we create meaning from what has happened really dictates how that will have an impact on our life and how that will influence our life in the short term or in the long term. And so if we can get to this place where we're willing to take a step back and learn from situations and not attach ourselves to simply re, like simply getting stuck in the spiral of saying the things that are happening to us are bad or good, the things that are happening to us are happening to us. And so really what our work is here is simply to identify and kind of look at it from an outsider's perspective and look at all the different perspectives that um, we could have and approach it with a little less emotion um, and, and and also approach it from a place of learning. Like, why was I triggered by this thing that happened? My coach changed practice on me and I got really angry. What is this teaching to me about me? Maybe that I have, I one of my values is communication or one of my values is respect. And this was an activity that was disrespectful to me, right? Maybe that's what that's teaching you. Yes. The, the coach changed practice and you had to adapt period. That is what it is. They did, he, and he or she didn't, or they didn't tell you, right? That is what it is. And it may sting and it may suck, but that's it's just what it is. But you have a responsibility then to dive in and ask yourself the question of why is this upsetting me so much? Is it about respect? Is it about communication? Is it about relationships? Is it about loyalty? Is it about my self-worth? Is it about my self-esteem? Is it about they don't value me? Is What is it? And, and as you identify that, the, the pain and the hurt and the victimhood goes away, or at least it's diminished, right? And then it gives you an opportunity to explore, now how do you want to respond? right? How do you want to respond to ensure that you're setting a boundary for this coach next time, right? Coach, I appreciate that there, that there are, there are times when practice has to be changed and, uh, it's really difficult to, you know, communicate with everyone, but from a, from a respect perspective, please make sure that I'm on the top of your communication list because just as you would find it disrespectful if I unannounced didn't show up for practice because something had changed or there was an emergency, um, I find it disrespectful that you don't communicate with me when there is a major schedule change that affects travel and the care of the patients and the care of the other patients that aren't on the team that you're, that, that we're working, that, that you coach right now right? Like that's a great way to set boundaries and have communications. And I think most people would understand that. And, and most people would respect the, the, the need to be respected and it may not be respect for you. It may be something completely different, but being able to identify what it is for you and then communicating that with others. The next belief system 
in uh, that you may have to change uh, to live an extraordinary life is really is understand not only understanding but accepting that everything is interconnected right like as we're retraining our belief systems it's 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 almost like we have to surrender to the fact that everything and I, when i say everything i mean everything is interconnected we can't isolate what happens in one part of our life with another part of our life you know i i feel like it, and i talked about this in episode 1 of this season right like we have to decompartmentalize our life we don't want to create false dichotomies of life and work right you have life you don't have a work life you don't have a home life you don't have a family life you don't have a school life you know if something stressful happens at home it's definitely going to affect or influence what the way you think the way you feel at school and work and if and if something stressful happens at work it's going to affect things at home maybe in your relationships maybe in your community life of course like yes we like to try to pretend that we just, oh, nothing's bothering me, right? I'm just going to stick this in a box and I'm not going to take it home or I'm going to stick this in a box and I'm not going to take this to work, right? We like to pretend that we can do that, but we as we as humans are really perceptive beings. And I'm sure you have noticed when a coworker or a patient or a coach or someone that you work with, a fellow athletic trainer, has something happened in their life and they're not talking about it, but they're, they're being affected at work or they're being affected or, or you have a spouse or a partner or a friend who, who something has happened at work and you know, it's affecting them and they don't want to talk about it and they pretend like everything's fine. So they're trying to have a good time, but they're not smiling the same way. They're not engaging the same way. They're just not themselves, right? We know that. And that's oftentimes we try to break down that barrier as a healthcare provider for other people, but we all, but we also like to believe that that doesn't apply to us, but in reality it does. And your patients, the, your coaches, your coworkers, they all notice it. But, but what we do as humans then is think it's us. We think it's us. We think that the reason that, you know, this person I'm talking, this person I'm interacting with is being cold and shut off is because of me, because I did something wrong. And now we've just created this situation where, where the person who could help you and the person who wants to have a human connection with you is feeling shut off because they think that you're mad at them or you're upset with them or you're, whatever emotion you're feeling is directed towards them, right? Now, um, this is not to say that you need to like wear your heart and your soul on your sleeve, but it is about surrendering and accepting and perhaps communicating that Hey, Susan, I just want to let you know that, you know, things are happening at my home life right now. I don't feel comfortable talking about it right now, but if, if I'm a little short or I seem a little angry, I just want you to know it's not you. Um, and I'm really, I'm going to do my best to be present, but I, I may get pulled away. I may not be here a hundred percent right now. Uh, but I, but I just wanted you to know. So if I, that I just wanted you to know, so it's not, so you don't think it's you. Because I really appreciate you as a coworker, as a colleague, you've been great. Um, I'm just I'm just dealing with some things, and and maybe maybe I'll be able to talk about it with you, but but uh, maybe I won't be. But I just wanted you to know that there are some things going on in my life that are um, challenging me at the moment, and I'm going to do my best here. Um, but I, I may need to lean on you for a little bit of support with some of our work responsibilities, right? You you can have that conversation, right? Um, and and when we make it worse. We, we, and we try to resist the idea that everything's connected, that, you know, we, we, we fail at that, 
right? And then we get frustrated and it adds to the negative thoughts, the negative feelings, the negative emotions that we experience when we're under stress. So, so move to that place uh, where you can accept that everything is interconnected. And I've talked about this next one, this other, this is both a habit as well as a belief system, but it's embracing. I've talked about this so much. I feel like a broken record, but it's about embracing the concept and living in gratitude, right? Living in gratitude that, holy cow, we woke up today and we live on a rock that's floating in the middle of nothingness, right? And just the right distance away from the sun that we don't get we're not frozen and we're not boiling and we have enough magnetic field energy and we have this like super thin layer of atmosphere. So we're able to exist like, holy cow, that is amazing, right? Just simply the, simply the fact and the amazement that we're here. And also the simple fact and amazement that everything in our life has, have, has worked out. Even if you look back and just like if you, I can't remember who the author is, but someone has done some work about like the likelihood we are to exist, right? Not not only from like living on a, a piece of space rock in the middle of nothing, right? But also from like being born, right? And and the, the series of events that the infinite number of events that had to happen for you know that ovum to meet that sperm to to then be success to have a successful birth and 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 then to be raised successfully and and then to go to college and then to make it where you're at now and and you know that's just all amazing and all the series of events that had to occur but then you even can dive back deeper than that right what are the events that led you know the, the your parents to meet each other or that your caregivers to meet each other. And then what are, what are the events that influence their parents or their caregivers to meet each other? Right. And then you can go back and back and back. And, and then all of this has worked out, right? So you've gone through difficult times in your life and it's all worked out, right? You're here. You may be in a difficult time right now in your life, but you're still here right now. And I think that's something to be grateful for. And and I think oftentimes in this modern world or in our world of athletic training and rush, 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 we live in this world of expectations as opposed to living in a world of gratitude, right? We expect the future to happen. We expect this uh, things to turn out a certain way. We expect uh, to get this raise. We expect to meet our partner. We expect all of these things. And then we're disappointed when they don't happen on our timeline. When in reality, if we can just surrender a little bit and say, wow, I can't believe I made it this far. That is totally amazing. I can't believe that I, I'm sitting, that you're sitting here listening to this on a, maybe on some sort of audio device that's been projected over the internet, which is just a connection of wires. And we use these little electrical impulses or light impulses or whatever we use to get this here. And I can hear it crystal clear and there's no challenges. And I, I'm maybe sitting in a, in a, in a, climate controlled car or a climate controlled room. I maybe I'm, I'm watching this. I'm, I'm listening to this on a computer. I'm listening to this. So I'm able to run. I'm listening to this in a hundred degree day. I'm listening to this in a negative 20 degree day. But the fact of the matter is that I'm here, right? And you're here and, and we have why, what is the expectation that we should be here? And, you know, living in this place that there are so, and, and then oftentimes we don't think about gratitude until it's, you know, put right in front of our face, like a loved one passes away and we, we kind of come into grips with our own mortality, or we interact with an individual who 
you know, may, may, may not have all four limbs or, or may not, may not be, have all four limbs in, in condition to be able to run or to walk. Um, or, or we look at some, we look at sacrifices people have made and then we're kind of jolted back to, wow, I have a lot to be grateful for. And, and wow, I need to start living in a, living a different way. Uh, but we can do, we can generate that for ourselves just by, by, we can generate that sense of awe just by reflecting for a moment about all of the things that we're able to do that have created this moment right now. There are infinite number of things to be grateful for. So living in gratitude is really, uh, so important to create an extraordinary life because it changes your out- outlook on life. Um, that changes from a sense of expectation to a sense of gratitude. Because if we have expectations, the only thing we can do is be disappointed. We can either meet our we can either meet our expectations or be disappointed. Very few times in life are our expectations truly exceeded, right? The truly exceeded. And, and in those moments when they're truly exceeded, we go into awe. We move, we move past being, wow, you've exceeded my expectations, but we move directly into awe, which actually re- relates right back to gratitude, right? And you can and you can be in awe without having those expectations. Yes, I know I'm talking in like absolutes here, and is it is all relative that there's a continuum of this or there's a there's a pathway of this where, yes, in our in in the to be able to interact and and work in our society, there has to be some sets of, of expectations, but we can w- pull ourselves away from that a little bit and, and understand that it can be both and right. We can have expectations as, as part of our life, but we also have a deep understanding of gratitude and a deep practice of gratitude and a deep mindset and believing that every, and no, not just believing, simply knowing that, that it's 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 a miracle that we're able to do everything we do every single day right and being appreciative of that which can combat or counteract some of the disappointment that comes from expectations when we look at kind of the the next habit if you will or 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 way to system to create and I think the next one I'd like to touch on is gaining momentum, right? Momentum is so important and streak and getting wins early in the day, early in the week, early in the year and streaking those wins together to create momentum and then to use that momentum to help propel you forward when times get rough and maybe when you need a break, but you're not going to scratch the, you know, screech the brakes right? You can still keep moving forward and, and, and have momentum push, pull you forward without having to be on the gas, right? So find an area in your life to, to start growing and start gaining momentum in the, in, in that area, whatever that may be. Maybe it's setting boundaries at work. Maybe it's, um, improving your communication with your coworkers. Maybe it's developing a hobby and, and a hobby I'll, interject here, a hobby should be something that you don't care if you ever get good at, right? Like, uh, because it's not, it's not meant, it's not designed for you to be great at a hobby. It's designed to enjoy what you're doing, right? Find something to grow and, and, and gain momentum. Starting is the hardest part of anything. And it's the place where most people, most people give up because maybe they've, maybe they've taken their expectations into whatever they want to try to start and grow. And they, they have a hard time getting the ball rolling or pushing that locomotive, 
right? Uh, you know, sometimes when I describe gaining momentum, I, I I talk about you know like a steam engine or a train that you know when it, it's it's several hundred tons, right? It's a really heavy piece of equipment and it's sitting on steel and they don't have a lot of traction, right? When it, when a when a train starts, it takes a long time and a lot of energy to get it moving. But once it's moving, you can pull off the you can pull off the gas, you can pull off the fuel. And you can keep moving at a really, really good clip. And even if you press the brakes, you're still going to keep going for quite a long time. Um, but if, if, but at, when you first look at that and you think about how much energy and how much um, efforts required, we 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 stop, right? But if you understand that after you get after after you get past that activation energy. And, and you can streak some wins together. Now you have the momentum. Now it just starts rolling and you start moving forward. And the, you know, that bringing it back to that locomotive, like remember that the first inch that a locomotive has to move is the hardest because it has to overcome all of that inertia that's holding it in place. And you have to overcome all of the inertia that's holding you in place, right? I don't know what your inertia is. Some people probably call this baggage right? We have baggage that keeps us stuck. We have inertia that keeps us stuck where we're at. And we have to make a choice to overcome that and, and really focus on, on moving forward despite feeling, despite feeling, you know, like this is too hard because it's not too hard. You've done really hard things in your life and you've done things that you thought were impossible until they're not. So gain momentum, st- get some wins early in the day, early in the year, early in the week, early in whatever time frame you're using, and then streak those wins together. Get yourself some momentum going. Understand that it's going to be hard at, the st- hard at the start, but once you get that ball rolling, once you get that locomotive tr- going, it's, it is more difficult to stop it than it is to keep going. The next one I want to talk about for creating kind of two, two pieces here for creating an extraordinary life is the first one is to empower yourself, right? We talk about self-empowerment early on, but really to empower yourself and give yourself permission to be great, to be extraordinary, to be gifted, right? You are worthy of the greatness and you have to step into that greatness. You have to empower yourself. No one's going to empower you for you every single day. You have to empower yourself every single day. No one is keeping this from you either. No one is denying the fact that you can be great, right? It's been in front of you the whole time, but you may be afraid or may have some fear around stepping into it because it's beyond your comfort zone. Being empowered, feeling great, being unstoppable, being extraordinary is uncomfortable because it may it may be beyond what you're doing now, right? So instead of stepping into your greatness, you say things like, and you self-sabotage yourself by saying things like, what if I fail? I don't want to do that. What if I embarrass myself? Maybe you say, what are people going to say if I do that? Or even things like, that's not really my thing, right? How many times have you said that either to yourself or you've said that out loud when you're trying something new or you're trying to step into your greatness, step into your extraordinary, being extraordinary, you know, this is your opportunity to rise above that and rise above your excuses and live in your greatness, right? I want to challenge everyone to put a post-it note in their bathroom and uh, in their bathroom, say something like, I am great, just keep it simple. I am great. Put it in your bathroom, put it on the mirror. And every day when you wake up this week, 
whenever you're listening to this, do it for seven days. Every day when you wake up, look at that post and say it to yourself. Say, I am great out loud in the mirror. Who cares? No one's around you. What are they going to say? Oh, who's that weirdo in there saying I am great? It doesn't matter. Give yourself permission to do that. You deserve to hear that you're great. And the person, the, the person you need to hear it from the most is you. And see how you hold yourself that day. See what happens after a week, after 14 days, after 28 days. See what happens when you do this consistently, when you wake up every day and you remind yourself how great you are and that you can step in and own your greatness. And right along with that is having a vision and knowing if you can see it, you can create it. And how do you want to be remembered for your success? How do you want to be, how will you determine what your success is? right? Can you answer yes to these three questions? These are three questions from Brendan Bouchard and high performance habits, and he uses it throughout his coaching, but I, I've really attached to these as well, right? Can you answer these questions? Did I live? Did I love? And did I matter? Right? Have, you know, empower yourself every day and create a vision for yourself and a vision for your future in which you do live, you do love, and you do matter. And once you've done that, now you can start to take creative action, take massive action to create your future, right? You have to envisioning and saying, I want to do this, I want to do this and want to do this isn't enough. You have to do the work. You have to get that ball rolling. You have to move forward. That's the way it has to work, right? Nothing great has ever been achieved by simply saying that you want to do it. You have to take massive action and you have to put that in to the work. You, you have to put work into that to create the vision and empower yourself to make you believe that you are great, right? And that you can create whatever you want, you know, right along with this and right along with this living an extraordinary life and creating an extraordinary life is persistence and persistence in the fact that things are going to get difficult. Things are going to be hard throughout your life. And, and during those times, you have to not only be resilient so you can bounce back, but you have to be persistent so you can keep going despite the challenges because there will be challenges in your life. And in those moments of challenge, really to take a step back and reflect, reframe, regroup, and re-engage. I know I talked about this in depth in one of the one of the season one episodes, but being able to engage in the four R's, reflect, reframe, regroup, and re-engage is so critical along your journey because we will face challenges and it will be difficult to be persistent and it will be difficult to empower yourself every single day. And it will be difficult when that momentum starts to slow down and you need to put some more coal in the fire and the engine to keep you rolling a little bit further. That can be hard, right? But you can, and you are capable. And I hope that by listening to this podcast, you are ready to live an extraordinary life and you are ready to live extraordinary. And you're ready to take a step every single day to move yourself towards this better version of yourself, whatever that version is, because you are worthy of it. You are extraordinary. You are gifted. You are chosen. You are enough. You are all of those things. And it doesn't matter how much I tell you this, how much you listen to this. You could put this last section of the, of the episode on repeat over and over and over and over again, but until you start believing it and until you start integrating these things into your life, you, so you can believe it yourself, it's going to be really difficult for you to actually at a cellular and soul level to believe that you are extraordinary, you are gifted, you are chosen, that you are enough, and that you are capable of doing whatever you want to do in athletic training. 
And when you uh, when you finally trust enough to try, you will blow whatever expectations you have out of the water. If you trust yourself enough to try and believe in yourself enough that you are extraordinary and that you are meant for greatness and you can step into that greatness at any moment. And there are strategies that you can take and there are support systems that can help you. And you're ready to take those action. When you, when you make that commitment and you take that step, you will be so surprised. And I'm so excited for you to do that. I'm so excited that you're listening to this episode right now. And you're listening to it for whatever reason you're listening to it. You chose to listen to this today. And I think it's because you needed to hear this message today. And so uh, if you think there's someone else in your life that needs to hear this message, do me a favor. And after this one is finished, go ahead and share this with a colleague, share this with a friend, share this on social media. Make sure you, you, you review our podcast. Make sure you spread the word about it because I, I, the more people we have in athletic training specifically and healthcare specifically talking about these concepts, the more we're developing community around these concepts, the the more we're willing to challenge the relative truth of what it means to be an athletic trainer and how we can create a better future for ourselves, the closer we are to creating that future for ourselves. And so I just want to thank you so much for listening. I want to thank you so much for being here with me today. And I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. We've partnered with OnlineTherapy.com, that's Online-Therapy.com, a complete counseling toolbox where you get the support and tools you need to be happier, and it's all based on cognitive behavioral therapy. Head over to Opportune.at slash Online Therapy, that's Opportune.at slash Online Therapy to get started for free and enjoy 20% off of your first month of therapy.